Hi, this is Anna. Welcome to the Before You Quit podcast, where we bring courage and perspective when solving gets hard. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host, your fine host for these podcasts, and also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, Some of you might be waiting for the second podcast on the topic of the role of women in ministry. Uh, The interview I'm doing with Rob Basham from Salem Alliance Church in Seattle Uh, will be coming in a couple weeks, so I thought since there was a little bit of a delay in scheduling that, that I will uh, post another podcast here. And this is an important topic. Today we're going to be talking about the church and its music. And I have the privilege of having three guys join me, Ian Boltman, Dan Sams, and Eric Anderson. Each are pastors. Ian himself was a uh, worship leader for a number of years, a good friend of mine. We served together in Mequon, Wisconsin. But they're going to be introducing themselves, and I think you'll find this to be a very challenging, encouraging, thought-provoking interview. So let's go ahead and jump into it now. Okay, I have uh, four of us on Zoom here, uh, four neatly ordered squares on my computer screen here. I have Eric Anderson. Uh, Daniel Sams and my good friend Ian Boltman uh, on this podcast and we're going to be talking today about the church and its music and each of these guys come with their own perspective and and Ian in particular is a worship leader has been a worship pastor Uh, so uh, good to have you guys uh, in in this conversation and I'll ask you each to just share a little bit about yourself I'll start with you Eric and then Dan and Ian and then we'll jump into the conversation. Sure. I'm uh, Eric Anderson. I'm the pastor of a church called Life Spring Church in Crosby, Minnesota. Um, I'm the founding pastor. We are um, been, been in this small town for 13 years, and um, we are. Uh, I've got my wife Miriam and I. We have nine children and two foster kids that we are permanently in our home. Uh, two are adults, so there's nine left in our home. And um, you know, I. I what drives me? Um, I don't know. I enjoy a lot of life. I think <laughs> I just enjoy whatever we're doing. But um, as far as church wise, I do really enjoy when people get it and start to mm-hmm. think critically, biblically, and principally. So all of a sudden, theologically, principally. So it's not Pastor Eric's idea of what the church is, but when other people start to own that because they get it from Scripture and they go, "Okay, this is what I believe too." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say including on worship. That's the conversation we have a lot as a church. So, yeah, so you're, you're excited when people become students of the word, it sounds yes, like. Yes, yes, yes. And then, and then they own it. They own that mm-hmm. themselves. So, yeah. yeah, excellent. What about you, Dan? Tell us about your family and what you're most passionate about. Yeah, so my name uh, my name is Daniel Sams, of course. I pastor Restoration Church, uh, which is a church plant uh, for the last nine years. Uh, the Lord's blessed us to still exist. And um, I have three kids, um, would love to have more if God had, had blessed in that way, but we love kids and I always get, I hear about these guys with nine, 10 kids and I'm like, <laughs> awesome. Um, Maybe so, they would uh, share some of theirs with you. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. 
Well, well, fostering or fostering to adapt is on the radar for us. Uh, mm. So we'll we'll see as the Lord leads. But um, but I am uh, I am very passionate about uh, training people with doctrine. Uh, very similar to Eric, uh, we run a uh, a system called Underground Seminary where we do uh, master's level training, totally unaccredited, and more as a subscription. Uh, and usually we give it away for free, but. Uh, there's something about when people see how the, the biblical worldview all fits together and provides a lens for how we look at the world, and uh, it's a pretty powerful thing. And so I, I have a lot of joy when I see people get grounded in the faith. That's That would be my passion. Wonderful. Ian. My name is Ian Boltman, and I have uh, 10 kids, and um, seven of them are at home still. Um, I served at the same church that Mitch served at for years as a worship pastor there for about, I don't know, 20 years. And um, today I run a ministry called Brinkman Adventures. It tells modern missionary stories through the eyes of a fictional family called the Brinkmans. And um, I'm passionate about making Jesus known and inspiring others to follow him. And that's what um, a worship leader does is make Jesus known, kind of like showing somebody an amazing mountain. When I used to live in Alaska and bringing people up and saying, look at Mount McKinley. I, I mm. love doing that as a worship leader, saying, look at your Lord, look at mm. Jesus. And, um, and with Brinkman Adventures, we feature missionaries and these people who are following Jesus and says that, um, it says, let your, light, let your light shine so that men, men may give glory to God. Um, and mm. that's what Brinkman Adventures does, is it lets the light shine of other ministries, and God is glorified. So that's what we do. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Well, thanks. Thanks, guys, for sharing that. All right. Let's let's jump into this conversation about the church and its music. And Ian, I'll have you start here. Uh, how, how serious is music uh, for you in, in relationship to the whole uh, worship experience, uh, the the life of the church. Yeah, music was a big priority in I think of the early temple with David. David or Solomon went all out, and um, they had musicians. And um, I th I think of a lot of passages passages that say sing praises. And um, I've always had the theory that. Um, one plus one equals three when it comes to music. When you take music and you take good lyrics and combine them, um, the sum is greater than the whole. Um, and so, um, I think it's I think it's very important. One thing um, that that I think is interesting is you don't see the word worship and music mm. mentioned together in, in scripture. The only time that I found music and worship mentioned was in a bad connotation, where I think there are um, God says, I, I don't, I don't like your worship and your music is is um, an abomination. And, and he was talking about a wayward, a wayward Israel, I think. But um, we we equate music and worship all the time, and it drives me crazy when mm. uh, when pastors. Uh, no offense, guys, pastors here, but 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 saying let's let's um, stand up and continue worshiping um, mm. when it's time to sing because because really. Um, in my mind, worship is falling down before God. Um, whenever we see, whenever I saw worship in Scripture, it was always people falling on their face before Him, and um, singing praise is a little different in my mind. And so, um, 
But yeah, I, I think it's I think it's important. I think that the church maybe has made too big of a deal about the mechanics of it. Mm. And uh, as a, as a former worship leader, I I can sometimes become distracted by all the bells and whistles. Um, and I like to say that <clears throat> that Jesus is the picture, and we're the picture frame. And sometimes I think in the church, the picture frame can outshine the picture. And that, to me, that's that's a distraction as mm. somebody in the pew now trying to worship. And there are times that I actually feel like I connect better with God when it's just one person and a guitar. Because mm. I'm not distracted. And part of that is my own problem as a former worship pastor. I'm thinking about the mix. I'm thinking about, wow, that's a, that's a cool <laughs> riff there on that guitar, you know. Yeah. You know, the harmonies are off. She's a little pitchy, you know. <laughs> and so I have a hard time um, removing myself from that. Um, so maybe that's why I appreciate um, kind of a stripped-down worship or singing time. But um, there are times when when it's a full on orchestra band and I'm just caught up in it. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's glorifying to God. I always say that um, good music glorifies God and edifies us. Yeah, that's great, uh, Dan. You you and Eric are pastor different kinds of churches than than the one Ian's been part of. Uh, first for you, Dan, what you're in a house church, so what's the role of music? How how important is it to even your preaching? Uh, yeah, so we, um, one thing I should say is we're a network of house churches. We, we come together about twice a month. So we do have a, a larger corporate, oh, thing, okay. uh, more, more, more than once a month, at least once a month. Um, but in both the, the larger and the smaller setting, uh, it's pretty important. Uh, what I've noticed, we, we try to follow the, 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 where it says Psalm, hymns, and spiritual songs. We try to make all three a part of our, our gathering. And uh, we make a big deal out of the fact that we are we are doing warfare when we sing. There's something spiritual that happens. Um, we are building up the body, so we want to sing th- songs that are theologically accurate uh, and focus on who God is and what He has done. And as and as much as we can, we try to sing psalms uh, because it is God's very word. Uh, I we sing other stuff as well and classic hymns and things like that, but. We vet it doctrinally because I know that what people are singing, they have a tendency to remember. Uh, one of our, in classical education, I teach for a classical Christian school also, and we talk about repetition, and there, there's something about when I read something, uh, I get it one way. When I read it and, and speak it, I actually get it three ways because I'm hearing it mm. and I'm reading it. And so uh, we, we print out lyrics. Um, sometimes we'll have old-fashioned hymnals and I'm thinking about these words are getting in the hearts and minds of the people in the church. And uh, it is pretty important. I, I can't get away from the fact that there's something spiritual that's happening. Yeah, I love that. Up the body, mm-hmm. we're commanded to do this. So, mm. yeah. yeah, I'm thinking, too, if the uh, worship pastor hasn't had a shower, you also smell it, don't you? That's probably <laughs> yeah. a point to make. Uh, Eric, how, yeah. how important is it in your setting? I think it is extremely important. And I think. Like I would say, kind of echo with with Ian, certainly maybe we would say that singing is a subset of the church gathered in worship. And we see throughout scripture that um, there's always a centralized physical gathering of God's people. That certainly we are called to, I think we have the example and and the key to pray regularly, daily, abide with the Lord. But God's people of all, uh, you know, of all, 
ethnicities, all ages gather together, and then God's word lays out actually he, how he desires to be worshipped. Um, you know, we call that the regulative principle of worship, but I, I look at that and I go, you know, if the Lord causes people to gather specifically once per week, and certainly we can do that more than once per week, but at least in the sense of centralized gathering, then we do what God tells us to do because he knows what it, what kind of meal we need that his flock needs mm -hmm. to eat together. And I would say within that, as we've tried to practice that, I think I've become more convinced, more passionate, if you want to use that word, for the fact that actually singing in worship, singing theologically rich songs from a variety. We also have a, we use hymns of grace, and then we also have a, a psalter. Um, and we have found both are, are we you know, spend, I think, six songs a week out of the two of those. And, um, you know, there is a, not, it, there is something about how God created the human being that song matters, um, not only for memory, but also lifting up our voices collectively, using the entirety of who we are, but also just for the emotions. It just connects yeah. Um, yeah. in song in a way that even, you know, the preaching is obviously primacy, but the singing is part of that meal as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I love that. Uh, Ian, you were you were talking earlier about the the distinction between worship and music, or that we've made a we've not made a distinction there. Uh, expound on that a little bit. So you see music, well, people, as, you're seeing music as part of worship, right? Correct. Yeah, people people when they say let's worship, they think, well, that's the singing part of mm -hmm. church, and and um yeah as as eric was saying it's it's a subset and singing is just a part of church and um listening to the the message is worship because our we're we're submitting to god as we hear his word and and giving in, in fact in my mind the actual taking the money out of my pocket and putting it into the plate is probably more accurate to, to what worship really is because mm -hmm. i'm giving of myself to god um uh so yeah, I think worship is singing is a part of it. It's it's not the same though. We we can't say singing is worship. Um, singing is one way to worship, but there's lots of ways that we worship in church. Yeah, we've come to worship by singing and hearing the word of God and participating in the in the sacraments. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it, we all agree that there should be a lot of intentionality in the choosing of songs. Dan, I loved what you said. We'll be talking a little bit more about having discernment on the kinds of songs you're looking at. Uh, what did you say? Theological accuracy. And what was the second one? Dan? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> okay. Theological, uh, <laughs> theological accuracy. Um, if I could only hear my own point. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. You said something else after that. But uh, again, the, the benefit we have here is it's recorded. So uh, people will catch it. <laughs> Um, okay. Um, well, I was going to ask Ian another question, but he left. So I'm here. I just shut my door. And my kids are running <laughs> <Okay>. around. <laughs> uh, Ian, t talk to us a little bit about because you're you're the one guy here who is a worship leader in, in a multi-staff church. What what role? Did, what interaction did you and the pastor have uh, in the the whole experience of singing? And I I remember even in staff meetings sometimes that would come up. Right. Um, we we went through different phases um, as I as I served at Alliance Bible Church. Um, there were times that we were very very um, 
scripted and we had a big plan and we had had the message and all the music kind of served the message and it was very themed and near the end of my tenure um we I, I changed I felt I started to feel like like the music the job of the music isn't to set up the pastor um it's not to or it's not to drive home the the message kind of with a hammer here it is I'm, we're gonna now we're gonna sing about what the pastor just just preached about um i i see the i i came to see the the singing time as um kind of an enter entrance into um the service and a call to worship and and praising god and and those things um could all be done almost independently of the message it didn't have to be always um, connected the, yeah. the theme of the message and it wasn't like okay i'm going to set the pastor up so that now now um people will listen i mean the singing part is is an important element of the service just like the preaching part is an, an important element and my goal was to draw people to the lord remind them what they believe have them sing it out loud um sing truth um submit in song and have it be good music that's theologically correct mm -hmm. um um so yeah, and your question was, "What's well, the that, that was it?" No, you you answered it um, uh, about the interaction you would have with the pastor and in, in selection. Yeah, there's times there's times that the pastor would, would would say, "Can we do this song because it really fits what I was what I was preaching on?" Yeah, and and, and I always love to follow a message with a song that just that summed up what was just mm -hmm. said, where we can sing and respond. And I think that's that's a really good way to respond to a message. Yeah, uh, afterwards. Um, so I love doing that, and and oftentimes my pastors would say, "This song fits. Can we do this?" And mm -hmm. and I loved, I love to do that. Um, I think that 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 back and forth between the pastor and the worship pastor is really important. Um, so there were times that I kind of dreaded hearing what the pastor wanted me to do because it was going to be some song that I did not want to do and I did not want to learn. But I also recognize that he's he's the leader, and so um, I would follow him. Mm, that's cool. Dan, what would you say is the biblical purpose of 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 the music in worship? What is the, how does the Bible speak to it? How does it uh, music us? music specifically? Uh, interesting because we're we're looking at the fact that God gave us an entire book of songs about Him uh, that He we actually have His very word that is arranged and, and we could talk about like well maybe it was more of a chant or whatever but in any case he he gave us a psalter uh and said you know mm -hmm. this is this is what is to be sung to me uh and that's a i mean, I mean that's a pretty big book also <laughs> and mm -hmm. so i would say he he seems to place it central he does command us to sing um but i would say ultimately like this is for god's glory um i mean primarily it is about bringing him glory secondarily uh, there is something about the fact that as we are remembering who God is, proclaiming who he has revealed himself to be, uh, that, that, that changes us somehow. And um, I was thinking about Psalm 115, I believe, uh, where, where it's actually a condemnation of idolaters. And it says, you know, the idols have hands but don't feel, feet but don't walk, eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. And then it says, and those who... Uh, make them become like them, uh, and so do all who trust in them. The implication is that 
And this is, of course, in a negative sense, that, that the idolaters become like that which they worship. And I, I think that there is a principle there that we could, we could inversely apply and say, um, if I am focusing on who God is, and that doesn't mean I become like God, uh, but I would say it puts me in awe of who he is. If I'm singing songs about him and my, my heart and my mind are being transformed as we see uh, Romans 12, you know, I'm supposed to pre present myself as a living sacrifice. Uh, well, immediately after that, it says not to be conformed to the world, but transformed by the ruin of your mind, that there is something that happens when I am worshiping God, with, especially when I do it with his very word, and I'm remembering who he is, and I am I am being put in awe of him, and that, that is transformational. Like, I, I am like Isaiah, who stands before the Lord and says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I would say there's something that changes us when we worship God in accordance with who he, he has revealed himself to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eric, so I have two answers then. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, have you, would you say that, uh, maybe I'm putting you on the spot here. I don't know what kind of music you listen to. Again, when you're pastoring your own church, that, that's your context, and you might not be so much in tune with what's happening elsewhere. But it, it seems like a, maybe Ian could speak more to this that a lot of the music. Uh, today, uh, and this is this is the sentimental nature of of it, is that it's about God and His feeling towards us. Uh, is that okay? Is there room for that, or is that where we have we have gotten off center? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I I think that uh, it so in in. Are you talking about the music that, like, we listen to on the radio, like the CCM music? Well, that's um, that's what's being sung in most, I think, evangelical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting yeah. because CCM has changed in 25 years. You know, mm -hmm. it was, when I was growing up, it was Christian musicians were guys who felt called in the ministry, and they were good musicians. So that was the venue by which they went. So they sang stories about the Christian life, and they ministered. And, you know, I was a big fan of Petra growing up and mm -hmm. Michael Louis Smith. And I've looked at some of their old lyrics, and... I've re-listened some of that, even the old Striper. That, there's some good lyrics there, mm -hmm. you know. Maybe not always the genre that we like, but 20 years ago, when I was in 25 years ago, when I was in college, it really changed to they called it like vertical CCM or something like that, mm -hmm. where everything was not so much a story, but it was talking about me and God worship. But it's interesting because into that field now we have a, a, a theological the default for the American evangelicalism is much more what's been termed moralistic therapeutic deism, which is the whole idea that God exists. Uh, we don't define God or let God define himself. We presume, like Dan just said from Psalm 115, that he's like us. And so worship is becomes much more, the, the lyrics are, are incredibly therapeutic, meaning um, God exists as kind of a celestial genie to zap me with, out of my traumatic experiences by blessing my brokenness. Mm -hmm. So you notice so much of the stuff on the radio now, it's not even theological language, it's psychological language and mm. therapeutic language. I think it's one downright, you know, some of the songs are probably fine. They're not going to kill you, but <laughs> many of them are not. They're not rich biblically. They're not even accurate theologically when you think about it. And some of the lyrics are borderline blasphemous if you're not careful i think of the mm -hmm. song reckless you know my daughter came home from a youth conference by four years ago and she i guess she sensed where i would stand on this but she's like dad there's a song they sang it's called reckless love 
Well, I'm listening to the background of my wife telling me something reckless love. Well, that sounds like open theism, you know. And sure enough, the song Ooh. is functionally an open theistic song, you know, in the sense of you know God's love is reckless for us. And I mean, there's certain biblical imagery that one might use for that, but that's not the point. The point is this whole. God needs you. He needs a relationship with you. He wants you so bad. Um, and you, 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 and me, 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 and um, yeah. versus yeah. Scripture is holy God transcending or coming down to us, revealing Himself to us, and we respond with repentance and faith. And the irony is that we're healed as we come in contact with the holy God. You know, the more we revere his holiness, the more we find answer for every area of our life. Yeah, through Jesus yeah. I love that. Uh, Ian, what, what's your thoughts? On, I, I love how we're talking about theological accuracy because that, that's, that's a very, uh, very strong platform. It's a, it's a clear guide. And uh, it, it probably, if some, if a church was committed to that, I wonder if it would eliminate a lot of what's popular out there, but, uh, yeah, just your, your thoughts on what we're reflecting on here. Eric, that was great, by the way. I really oh, appreciate, appreciate what you said there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had the same thoughts as what Eric just shared. I mean, I remember driving across the country, listening to Christian radio stations where, um, as a family on a, on a trip, and I thought, man, it's like every song is 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 written for written by a depressed person yes. who, who needs yes. help, you know. Yes. And it's like, man, what <laughs> what is happening? I mean, I so just, those are country songs, though. Yeah, <laughs> should be country. <laughs> uh, watch it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, can I comment? Can I comment in? Yeah, you you nailed it right there. You go. They are. They're like depressed, defeatist songs. They're not, they're not victorious, confident songs in the Lord, where even if, even the song like, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, prone to wander, yet I feel it, right? So there's a, there is a confession there, there's repentance there, but it's a confident confession that it is to the right. Lord who has paid my penalty. Right. You know? And, yep. And I would agree, there are, there are songs that are just, um, I just I can't sing them. I, I I won't I won't sing them because they're they're theologically um, incorrect. And and um, I've talked to my kids about this too. We we tend to put our Christian artists, our CCM artists, up on a pedestal. And and the fact is, a lot of them are just are they're, they're baby Christians. They're new believers, mm -hmm. and um and they really they don't know where they stand when it comes to um, sexuality. Even some of them and yet they're producing Christian music that we're listening to on the radio. And so um, I think we need to be really careful about laying hands on somebody too early, right? And putting them, kind of blessing them, putting putting them up on a pedestal saying they represent Christianity when really they're baby Christians and they're good musicians. And, um, and they're singing things that might not be right, and so I and I would say the same thing that that you said, Eric. I think Eric said it, or maybe it was Dan. Um, the early the early scripture songs. I mean, I think a second chapter of Acts and Keith Green. My goodness, I listened to their music, even Rich Mullins, and um, yeah, there's a lot of scripture in there. You can't go wrong when you have scripture in your lyrics. Yes. 
right? And there is something about having a new song. It, it's, it says, sing a new song unto the Lord. And so I love it when a new song is is written, but it's got to be theologically correct. And and also, I would say, kind of deep, too, not just not just surfacey. Um, I think I think our kids can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Great song, right? But it's very, very simple. And a, and a little kid will say, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Daddy. But as you get older, it's like, okay, why do I love you? I love you because of this and this. And so I need more depth when I when I sing. I, I, I want to be stimulated mentally, not just repeating the same words over and over. And so there's a, there's, I think there's a place for repetition for our kids. But, uh, yeah. Ian, I'll ask you to think about this, and we'll come back to it because uh, I don't want to put you on a spot. But it'd be, it'd be interesting if you had some examples of some uh, modern contemporary uh, songs that you feel nail it that have what you know you believe is is uh, the kinds of songs we sh- we should sing. Uh, but Dan, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the the controversy. It's uh, you know it has become controversial in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, pr- probably has before. I know when we've had chats about this before. Even some of the great hymns we sing now were really controversial when they started out. Um, but in, in your view, what what is the controversy? What does it come down to? Because I don't think it's just about traditional versus contemporary necessarily. Yeah, it, it feels like the, the contemporary versus traditional uh, is a, a secondary debate that has almost fallen to the wayside. Um, I would argue that it is directly tied to what our source of truth is. Uh, we know that since the Enlightenment, we had uh, Enlightenment thought kind of fractured into two different ways. You had rationalism that was all supposedly coldly scientific, denying revelation. And then the reaction to that was sentimentalism. And in sentimentalism, it was whatever I feel is true. And we saw that, interestingly enough, even even in the, the 1800s, I mean, we... There's some classic hymns that are are very much like a Bethel song now that are very, you think of like, uh, you and know, he walks Martin. with me and he talks. Exactly. <laughs> um, it is a very sentimental, and I, I would say there's nothing wrong with sentiment. There is something wrong with sentimentalism, right? If my source of truth is my emotion, and uh, it kind of goes with what Eden was saying earlier, how you have these kind of depressive, or, or at times feels like they're happy about their sin, right? Um, and I would say that the source of truth so many times, even in the way the songs are sung, are my feelings. This is how I feel like God feels about me. This is how I feel about God. And uh, nothing wrong with emotion, but that can't be my source of truth. Uh, contrast that with those who are singing a theologically robust song. Now I'm, I'm, I am appealing to who God is. I'm remembering what he said about himself. There's a victorious thing in that, and there's joy in that. And I would say, my opinion is that the debate now has moved from, well, this is an old hymn, so it's safe. And that wasn't always true. And um, now I I would say there's a lot of good Reformed churches that are like, I don't care what the style is, to a certain degree, but we want it to be doctrinally sound, because that we're we're realizing that the danger has been in in the doctrinal error. And what we've seen, I think as Ian has mentioned, uh, especially in the last 20-some years, we saw where contemporary music was moving much towards like, well, this is the kind of formula, and we'll get this young guy who looks this way and can sing this way, yes. and we're going to put his songs on the radio. And um, and every now and then, some would be okay, 
But you think about 30 years ago, the Christian music movement was not really even defined as a genre, right? And so it was like, well, I'm a Christian and I, I make music and this is what I do. So there wasn't a lot of guideline on what you needed to sound like to get on the radio. And that's why you would have Striper who like, oh, I don't know. All I know is I got this Bible and I'm reading Isaiah 53 and, and here you go. And it, it was it was a little roughshod at places, but you tended to have some theological accuracy. Um, and the irony is like I would feel safer somebody listening to Striper than I would yeah, listening to anything yes. from Bethel. Right. But um, most of us would look at them and be like, mm. um, and that's still the irony to me. Uh, you know, we've got there was some faithful brothers singing very, you know, strange stylistic music, but they're spectacularly sound because they're like, I ain't even trying to get on the radio, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say the debate now is, as it relates to worship, and I hold to the regulative principle, is is more of what has God commanded and what has God said about himself, and are we singing songs related to that? Mm. Uh, and then the question is, okay, well, do I sing this song? I mean, the only real debate is if Bethel happens to relate, relate a song that happens to not be heresy, do we sing it knowing that it's going to give that cult royalties? Um, well, let's talk about that because that is, yeah. that is one of the questions. It, it, it's interesting the church we're attending, uh, pretty new for us. It's contemporary. It's large. And uh, I'll find myself uh, squinting my eyes to look at the small print at the bottom left of the song to see who wrote it, you know, <laughs> and... Yeah. I've yet to see a Bethel or Hill song, so I'm I'm like, yeah, I think I think they take this seriously. I don't know them well enough, but uh, but Ian, what what is your share with us uh, your struggle when you were uh, a worship pastor, maybe even how you look at it now, if it's different, just in terms of the source of the song, if it's connected to a movement that is is aberrant. Uh, how, how should a church struggle with that? Should we struggle with it? Yeah, I think so. I think we should be careful what we sing and who wrote what we sing. I mean, we sing it as well with my soul, and I think that the author kind of went off track, right? We yeah. still love that yeah. song. Mm -hmm. And there are there are a couple other songs that I know that we sing, and I know the history behind the guy that wrote it, and it's still a popular song. And I struggle when we sing it because I, I, I know about that guy. And... um. So, so I, I struggle with that. Um, maybe more now that I'm out of worship leading. Uh, when I was in it, to be honest, I would find a song that I really liked. And if I really liked it, I, I, I didn't really care if Bethel did it. Um, Bethel wasn't an issue as much as it is now. Um, but now, um, now I'm a little more discerning, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm a little older. And, um, so yeah, I think it's important that that we I mean we can put our stamp of approval on a ministry by singing its song. It's almost like the pastor mentioning a movie and you know in a sermon is an illustration and now now everybody thinks that he's given his stamp of approval to go out and watch that movie. Mm -hmm. And we can maybe inadvertently do that by by doing a song that that is written by somebody who is almost heretical. So I think it's important. Yeah, Dan, your thoughts on that? Or, or Eric, first? Yeah, first, oh, oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think I would never, I think you can, I think that's a pretty avoidable issue. 
And I think I don't, I, I guess I'm not in a church where I have to deal with that anymore, but I, I would, I think there's a way to, that you really avoid having to do the tit for tat type of thing. I, I'm with you. I don't do Bethel music, but some reason I wouldn't do it is because it's rotten lyrically. You know, so if you, if you just go theologically lyrically and you care about, I mean, the churches that are going to sing Bethel are not ones that are careful about their lyrics anyway. Um, I've generally observed. So to me, um, it's kind of a non, I mean, there may be one or two songs there, but I, I really think a lot of what we, what we do at Life Spring is we have what we call the 100, the 100 year rule or principle for music, which means has the song been around for 100 years or will it be around for 100 years? Right. Mm. So what what that's protected us from is what I've challenged people on is, look, why do songs last for 100 years and make the hymn book? Generally speaking, right now, there's some hymn books that are better than others. One, it's because it stands a theological test of time. But second, there's a there's a depth to the multiverses in it. But then third, it's singable. Right. So meaning one of the big distinctions that we make is um just because a song can minister to you on the radio doesn't mean it's singable in the church. You know, I don't want to have songs that require a high-pitched female or effeminate male voice singing up. The guys tune out and they can't sing anyway. I want the entire church should be able to sing. So what songs make the hymnal? For the most part, they're songs that are syncopated, easy to sing, you know, a, a decent range, a low range so that anybody can sing them. So I would say in one sense, the question of Bethel is answered by a couple of those. One, most of the songs are unsingable. Um, I've been to events, you know, kind of these more ecumenical events where they're singing them, and I just stand up my hands up. Even if I like the lyrics, I can't sing them as a man. You know, you have some dude on the platform with, you know, skinny jeans that's raising his hands like this with a scrunched <laughs> up worship face, and he seems to be in it, but the rest of it, we can't follow it. You can't follow a temple. You can't follow anything else like that. So, you know, some of it is, I think you avoid this by just saying, just because a song's new, I, I want it to stand a little bit of a test of time, you know? Mm -hmm. So in our hymn book, we use a hymn book, but even there, are, and it's got a ton of Getty music in it, which I like the Getty stuff. But I would say even some of the Getty stuff, it's not that it's not theologically sound. It's all really good stuff. But we've even found some of that music is probably best for a group in Memphis or Nashville with, you know, not... Even some of their stuff is harder for our congregation. So we just yeah, don't there, there's several, that. though, that have come out to be very you know, almost modern hymnology, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're talking about Keith and Christy Getty. Yes, correct. Correct. Yeah. But even that, like, we pick the, even in the Getty music, and Hymns of Grace has 30 songs. We only do the ones that are really easy for our congregation mm -hmm. to sing. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, so, yep. yeah. Daniel, I know thought. it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, oh, but I would say... Yeah. Part of it would go, I, I would challenge you, why do you need to sing Bethel music? Mm. It's just, come mm -hmm. on, give it 10 years and then let it fall by, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know? Mm -hmm. With you. Yeah, this is, this is uh, you, you've touched on something, too, that's on my mind. One is, you, you just focus on doctrinally sound, and, and it's always funny, the the hardline uh, regulative principle guys, the only psalm singing, they're like, we don't have to worry about this ever. And I'm like, hey, you got a point. <laughs> you know. Uh, but I like the 100-year rule. Will it be around for 100 years? Has it been around for 100 years? The other thing you mentioned is as it's related to singability, and this is something that we we don't talk about enough, uh, but you're right. I, I know this is a touchy subject for a lot, but a lot of these songs are sung by certainly talented guys, but that I mean, their range is way up there, and they, they sometimes come across a little effeminate. 
And so then what am I teaching the men in my church if I'm singing songs that are so far out of their range that they they can't sing? But now I'm telling everybody else that, like, we really only want the women to worship. Um, whereas, and I think we talked about this, we had a discussion about this not long ago, but when I sing songs that are in a range that men can sing, and I sing songs that are not sentimentality, right? They're, they're this is who God is, you know, the mighty fortresses are God or, or whatever. They, they, I mean, they can be things that are not necessarily raw, manly. But um, men, men sing when it's in their range and I'm, I'm worshiping the God of creation and all the greatness that he is. Uh, men, you start noticing the men sing and then everybody else comes along. Yes. And that is formative. It's formative for the church. It's formative for those men. God is getting glory. And um, I am confident. Uh, I know Doug Wilson says something about like revolutions, uh, reformations are always singing reformations. There's something mm -hmm. that's going on in song. And uh, I think I said the last time we were talking about this, that, you know, the the Jesus is my boyfriend lyrics don't produce men who will stand outside a library and preach the gospel uh, or maybe protest and stop the drag queens from going in and abusing children, mm -hmm. right? You, you know, you're not going to have uh, godly men shaped by those soft lyrics. Um, those, and I always I remind people that First Corinthians nine uh, uses the word malakoi to say, you know, softness in men is a sin, right? And so we, when we sing about who God is and His greatness, and we're doctrinally sound on it, and it's not this weird kind of semi-romantic sounding um, man. You you produce godly men who will do things that are well that are manly. Honestly, and I, there's there's something there. I am convinced there is something yeah, there. I, that's, that's really interesting. That's yeah, I, I I could be wrong with this, but right. I, I I think I'm right that the first uh, real hymn that were given to us in the Bible is in Exodus 15 when they have crossed the uh, uh, the the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and and there's that song of Moses. Later, if I'm correct. Um, it, it says a Miriam sang to them, you know, so it's a song of Moses, which is quite lengthy, which is really about God's victory, God's intervention. I mean, if people are looking for a model of what a good song is, I think you, uh, you will see it there. Uh, but Dan, you yeah. might, uh, you might speak into that, you know, where it talks about and Miriam sang to them. Uh, did she write that song, the song of Moses? I had always thought she had, but when I was reading this, this past week, I realized Ooh. it's called the Song of Moses, but then later it's attributed to Miriam. Wait, what's it? Yeah, Mitch? it's Exodus fifteen. Exodus fifteen, verse what? Uh, that the where it talks about Miriam is verse twenty-one. Okay. Well, and you know, there's a reprise of that song in Revelation when God uh, when God judges the nations, just like He judged Pharaoh's armies. Mm -hmm. There's a reprise of that song in Revelation, which is pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, wow. Well, good, good stuff, guys. Um, let's talk a little bit about, and Ian, you might speak best to this because you, you have been in this, in this world uh, directly as a worship pastor, but the, and I know you and I have had conversations together about this, but the whole performance nature uh, of music within the church, I, I think when you guys and I talked about this before, uh, it seemed like we were okay with that, you know, that it's good to have accompaniments. Uh, but I think, Eric, you're the one that's 
mentioned a few times in previous conversations that the voice needs to carry, you know, the, the leader needs to carry. Uh, so Ian, your thoughts on that? Yeah, first, I, I, I like the discussion on singability, um, and I just wanted to comment on that. Um, one thing the Gettys do purposely is they have intervals, d different intervals besides just like, uh, if you listen to some of the newer music, it's like, it's like three or four notes. It's just like almost monotone. And, um, some of the, some of the hundred year songs, they've got interesting intervals that are very singable and that are catchy. And I think of the Beatles. The Beatles are just great at making a catchy tune. And I think some of these older songs, they're catchy. They're, they're, they're good musically. I mean, you can, you can recall them. Like if you try to recall a lot of the newer songs right now, because the interval is so small, it's, a, you know, a second, uh, a minor second or it just a major third, just back and forth, these little intervals, you can't come up with the, the melody in your head. Yes. Um, yes. but the, the, the Gettys are really purposeful in not doing that and now, sometimes they go for up, the for those of us who are ignorant what do you mean by intervals um well like uh like uh, tw um they say the first interval that a kid learns is um twinkle twink um or sa just very da 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 mm -hmm. not a lot of movement in the song okay uh, almighty fortress is our god that's mm -hmm. like going all over the place mm -hmm. and you can remember it and so the Gettys do that. They really try to do that. And I, I appreciate that about them. Um, so that's that's one point as far as singability. I think we need stuff that's interesting. I mean, good music is helps us to remember it and sing it when we're out in the field or when we're doing the dishes, right? If you, you want to be able to sing that song. And so to me, that's, that's, a, that's an important thing. Um, what was the other question, Mitch? Uh, the the performance nature. Oh, the performance. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm at a rock concert a lot of times when I when I go to different churches and watch watch the uh, the singing and and um, again I, I use the uh, the picture of the the picture frame and the That's picture. Beautiful. The Lord is a picture, and we're the picture frame. And when you have smoke machines and lights, I mean, I'm not against a good concert. I love a good concert, but when we confuse that with with praising and worshiping the Lord, we're thinking about that that singer or that guitar player. And so, you know, I, I probably erred on the side of almost putting people in the balcony with my team. You know, I wish <laughs> I wish I could do that and get them. I mean, it's good to have a leader so that you can you can follow a leader, but I pushed my band all the way up to the side. Now I know that that um, um, Brooklyn Tabernacle does that where that's not the focus. You know, the focus, and I like the comment about the voice, how the voice is number one. Um, that's that's amazing. That's the most incredible instrument that has ever been designed is a human voice. Um, so so voice is so important, but the performance, I think, I, if I was God, I would be, I would be jealous, I think, of what's going on sometimes in, in a, a song service, mm. because the focus is on, it's on humans, it's on, it's on nailing it you know and doing the song just just like the recording and and um i think and, and the other part of the problem is that musicians are performers right you've got to be good you've got to be good to do what you're called to do if you're a bad guitar player you shouldn't be up there right but if you're a good guitar player you're struggling with pride 
It just it just comes in the, with the territory, and so you've got people up there at varying levels of of maturity, and they're struggling with pride probably, mm. and I think that probably gets in the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing, and so it's a complicated thing, yeah. yeah. And that's why I love just taking my band and getting them out of the way so that they're not being featured. It's uh, it's what we're singing. It's the words that we're singing, and we're just accompanying. And um, and I love the idea of letting people in the congregation gifts to help the, the congregation sing. That's that's a healthy thing. Um, um, so having people involved rather than playing a CD is great. You know, you got a flute player. Let her use her gift for the Lord and play the flute for the Lord and and inspire us all. That's a, that's a good thing. But um, when the focus becomes on the flute player, and everyone's like, "Wow, that's a killer flute player." Um, that's a problem. Or yeah. when you have people who are scantily dressed on the stage and, mm. and now guys are struggling with, man, she's hot. That's, that's very counterproductive to worship. And so that's another problem that I see uh, in, in modern, you know, the modern scene. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, ah, yeah. Yeah. For, for Eric and Dan, I assume that in your context, this is not a problem, but how do you, how do you lead in a way where, uh, because I know when I've pastored smaller churches before, there was always this. I remember when I was involved in the church planting in Augusta, Georgia in 2013, we were trying to restart a church that had closed. And I, I fell into this trap of we've got to get a worship team. Yeah. You know, we've got to get great music. How, how do you avoid that or even avoid people wanting that? What What is a good way to present music as as worship? Uh, to where it's 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 simple, doesn't demand a lot. I think in some way, Eric. I think you've talked about this before that you lead music a lot of times. And well, yeah, it, it, part of it is you just change people's thinking. You change the paradigm, and yeah. it's exactly what Ian said. There's a strong distinction between performance music, which I enjoy a good concert too, versus participatory music. And the nature of the congregational singing should be that every member of the congregation, you are accompanying, any musician is that accompanying the voices of the congregation to sing to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So that changes your entire paradigm for how you think about what my job is as playing the instrument. Ian's absolutely right. Every, you know, so I've always said, look, our worship team, we only have, okay, so a couple things we've done. One, when we started, we knew we were going to be a small church in a rural area, and we came from a mega church. So one of the things that we had to really, we spent six months, the first study we did as a church plant team was on singing. Because mm -hmm. I knew that if we didn't get the Sunday morning right, or if we were insecure because we didn't have the mega church sound, we were going to constantly be insecure and looking for the next best thing until we got that certain sound. So one of the things we did is just said, look, what is the whole point of Sunday singing? It's so the people can sing. So we said we only, the musicians we have only come from our congregation and they have to be members of our congregation, mm. which protects us from grabbing the worst, wor uh, the worship mercenary who can show up once mm. a month to have the right sound. And we've said, look, if we've got two guitarists and no drummers, then we'll take two guitarists and no drummers. We'll make it work. Why? Because the whole goal is so the congregation can sing whatever music allows them to sing. But also, we've had some Sundays, now we don't anymore because we got more musicians, but we had somewhere... We didn't have, all our musicians were gone, you know, all two of them. And so Greg and I, the other elder, we led acapella. Mm -hmm. And I have a little djembe drum, we played that. But we, part of, 
because we have the 100-year rule, we're picking songs that people can sing anyway. Yeah, they're familiar. They already know it. I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. and it was funny. Those, we kind of laughed about the Sundays with people. Nobody ever complained. People liked mm-hmm. them, we, you know, because yeah. they know. The whole point is, I, I've said to people, look, if you come into our service and you choose not to sing, that's on you, not on me. Mm-hmm. We are going to make it as easy for you to sing as possible. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Um, yeah. Dan, your so, thoughts on that? Uh, very similar. So we're we're similar, small context. Um, uh, well, and the, it almost helps that like there's no hope of us being like the mega church. So <laughs> we're not even tempted to try. Yeah. Um, and so it's usually a guy with a guitar. Sometimes, honestly, we don't have anyone to lead. We've done the thing where we we somebody plays the music on their iPhone, so we at least <laughs> have something to go off of. I'm not sure how I feel about it, honestly. <laughs> but like we're we're about as low budget as you get on that. The irony is we've got one guy who just has a tremendous voice, and every now and then I have to be like, and it's he's this big, burly guy. You wouldn't think he could have such a high range. We've every now and then been like, dude, <laughs> you, you're too good for us. Like, dial it back. But um, but yeah, just the the and we'll do acapella voluntarily sometimes mm-hmm. where we yeah. we in fact he's gotten that particular he's one of our elders. Uh, he's gotten really good about just like, hey, you know what? This one we're gonna do acapella because I think it'll be cool. Yeah. And um, or every now and then we'll we've got somebody that pulls out a piano and and we'll lead by piano, but we keep it stripped down. We'd love to have more musicians. Um, honestly, we've talked about do we need a choir slash ensemble for the sake of teaching people how to sing better? Mm-hmm. Uh, that like there's something about like we're we're gonna learn how to how to sing here, and um, that's that's on the radar. It would be nice to to bring us along and say, cool, we, we do want to honor God as best we can, but performance is not part of the game here. It's just, it helps us that there's no hope of it. Some of the sweetest times of, of worship that, that um, I can remember is in a house church playing Hosanna Integrity music when it first <laughs> came out, that old uh, Hosanna <laughs> popping, popping the tape and, you know, and, singing graham kendrick and it was it was amazing there was no nothing no singers you know it was just us as a as a family and as friends singing and one story that i like to tell is i was at a at a, at a conference and they had a house worship team for this week-long conference estes park and a lot of musicians were there and, and um uh the rick cool was leading the worship and and um it was a great band and um i i remember one night Michael W. Smith got up and it was just him and his guitar and he sang um, Lord I lift your name on high just his guitar in him and the roof blew off that place yeah. and I remember the next day we were in this this hall and Jack Hayford just passed away but he was he was a lecturer he wrote Majesty and um, and I, I asked him Jack what was going on last night we were all like yeah as worship leaders what was going on I mean there was just one guy and the roof got blown off and and why is it that before then we weren't experiencing that kind that level of, of singing and and um, I don't know that always stuck with me and I guess you know for you guys there's nothing to apologize for one guy in a guitar it's awesome it can be better than the full-on megachurch, and yeah. probably a lot of times is. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm biased, but I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're probably going to need to wrap up, guys. Ian, I'd asked you to, if you had any examples of, of songs that you feel 
are perhaps contemporary, but have the kind of the ingredients that we're talking about here? The Gettys. I think the Gettys are the closest. Okay. I like their stuff. Yeah. Sovereign Grace. You all. Yeah. I like Sovereign Grace. Shane and Shane. Love Shane and Shane. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Shane and Shane has more performance and trying to do their stuff in a church is difficult, but um, their, their range is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say I, I'm with Ian. I think Shane and Shane lyrically is great. I don't know that. Again, that doesn't take anything away. Just it can minister to you as you listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's hard stuff to sing congregation. Yeah. 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 So I would say Sovereign Grace, generally, at least the older stuff, uh, Before the Throne of God, some of the stuff from their Valley Vision, and Getty Music, the nature of those two publishing arms is congregational singing. And I always thought it transitioned well into the church. Yeah. Uh, let me close with that scripture. We we referenced uh, Ephesians chapter 5. I think, uh, Dan, you started out by saying that all your songs relate to this, or this is like your order of service in a way, but it says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm. Uh, that uh, That's a good final word, isn't it? A good uh, way to wrap up here. Well, guys, thanks a lot. Um, this was great. It, I had fun with it. I learned a lot from it, and I appreciate each of you and what you do, what you're doing for, for the Lord, for your church. And again, thank you for, for your time. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right, take care. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And I would encourage you again to share this with your pastor and your church leaders. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.